We're relaunching Clean Tech Talk this week with my two new co-hosts, Kyle Field and Matthew Klippenstein. Uh, this is a weekly podcast focused on the hottest clean tech news of the week, with a particular focus on electric vehicles, solar energy, wind energy, energy storage, and energy efficiency, but uh, primarily electric vehicles since that's the hot consumer clean tech market right now. Um, so this week we're we're talking about a few few interesting stories. One, uh, Clean Technica's launch of the inaugural Clean Technica Car of the Year Award, uh, SWAT jumping into the EV battery space, and an interesting initiative in North Vancouver where they will put warning stickers on gas pumps, warning consumers about the effects of global warming and climate change. Kyle, can you kick us off with an introduction on the new Clean Technica Car of the Year Award? Definitely. Thanks, Zach. The winner of the Green Car of the Year Award uh, was actually announced at the Los Angeles Auto Show last month, and I was down there to uh, to cover that announcement. Um, we actually talked about the finalists a couple weeks before that, uh, and we're a little bit confused about uh, which cars they've selected as the finalists um, as a community in general at Clean Technica. Um, we talked about it a lot in the comments, where it really sparked a lot of conversation, a lot of heated conversation even. Uh, specifically, there was a uh, normal internal combustion vehicle, the, the Honda Civic, um, on the list, and EVs were nowhere to be found. Uh, so coming out of that comment discussion, uh, we decided we'd try to set things right by setting up our own award, um, the Clean Technica Car of the Year Award. Uh, so we're super excited about the launch of that award. Um, we set up some criteria that really embodies what we view um, as being a clean car. So that's kind of the, the overall green footprint of the car across its life, um, including manufacturing and supply chain, um, how consumer-friendly the vehicle is, uh, and the overall net positive impact uh, that vehicle can have on the planet. So will it pull people into electric cars? Is it kind of a good spokesperson, if you will, for uh, EVs? Um, instead of just being kind of a the car with the biggest increase in mileage versus previous model years. Thanks, Kyle. For the listeners who don't have the link in front of them, the four finalists for the Clean Technica Car of the Year Award for this year are the Gen 2 Volt, the 2016 Nissan Leaf, the Tesla S70 70D, and the Tesla Model X. I haven't put my vote in yet into the ballot, but... The logic I'm following is that although the Chevy Volt 2.0, the second generation Volt, is a wonderful vehicle, it's it's very compelling, it it has a great price point, it's not quite a a full five-seater, so it's hard for me to give it the nod with such strong competition. The 2016 Nissan Leaf is also a difficult choice because it's a mid-cycle refresh, it's not a completely new vehicle. And with the Tesla Model X, it hasn't started production in earnest. Uh, Perhaps when listeners are listening to this, it will have. But at the moment, it hasn't. Which leaves the Tesla Model S, a 70 and the 70D, which, although it is a mid-cycle refresh, is a heck of a refresh. Uh, It has most likely sold a heck of a lot more than the S60 has done, which means that there are a lot more people who are able to spend less money to get the Tesla they want, the, the car of their dreams, really. And considering that one of the criteria for the uh, Car of the Year award that Clean Technic has is to highlight cars that pull a high number of buyers away from dirtier cars, the Tesla Model S, the 70, is an excellent choice because a lot of those luxury buyers would buy dirtier SUV uh, luxury vehicles 
and would in fact likely buy many of them or go through them every few years simply because they have that disposable income. It's hard to imagine someone uh, purchasing a Tesla going back, and so it really does seem to me the strongest candidate for the car of the year. Uh, Zachary? Yeah, well, we have covered that Green Car of the Year award a few years now, and it, it's always a bit bewildering what ends up on the list. Normally, like Kyle said, there's just a handful of odd inclusions. Uh, and I think that comes down to one of our criteria, which is to have an overall net positive impact on the planet and I think addressing the global climate change crisis that we're facing. And if, if all of the cars on the planet were conventional hybrids or if they were all... Uh, basically any of those finalists other than the vault, uh, we wouldn't address global warming. We would, we wouldn't, it wouldn't be adequate. So for me, any car that, you know, if it was every single car, if it doesn't cut it, then I, I can't see it. Um, so our criteria, overall net positive impact on the planet, consumer-friendly vehicle. It's got to be a vehicle people are really going to buy. Uh, and how green the car is with, you know, specific focus on the car's efficiency, the materials used, the manufacturing footprints, uh, so, so altogether, you know, what is going to, what is gonna, going to sell high enough and be green enough that is going to have a, a, the biggest impact on, on both CO2 emissions and other pollution. And uh, the, the point that's been sort of, um, some readers had an issue with is we weren't entirely clear about the timing of the vehicle's launch, uh, because we mentioned, you know, what's going to have the biggest impact in the coming year. But it's basically, the car has to have been released in 2015. The 2016 Volt, of course, just came out. The 2016 Nissan Leaf just came out. And there's significant enough difference from previous Volts and Leafs that, that I thought they could be included. The, you know, there's a 2016 i3, but it's basically the car with a few tweaks as the previous i3. So that wasn't, wasn't in the running for that reason, um, to the... Uh, dislike of some of our readers. And uh, the Tesla Model X, that's a, obviously there are a few out there. There's like 15 or something right now. By the end of the year, Tesla said 100 should be produced per week, uh, ideally. So I, th I think that counts. Uh, and the Tesla Model S 7070D, the Model S isn't new, but the 7070D is new. And I think it's a significant enough change uh, in range and price that, that, it, that was worth including. Um, so I will talk a little bit about my favorite in a moment, but first I'll, I'll let uh, I'll let Kyle back you up on the argument for the Model S. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, um, I like all the cars on our list this year, uh, but to pick a winner, we had to really get into the details for each based on uh, the criteria we selected. Uh, so I, I looked at the award based on the overall positive impact for the year and really tried to make that the focus. And that, that makes this really tough, especially when we look at Tesla, who's doing so many great things and taking a holistic approach to their vehicles all the way down through the battery process. But starting with the Volt, like you said, Zach, even if everyone on the planet cut over to hybrids, that wouldn't get us where we need to be from a transportation emission standpoint. And really because of that, I, got, I have to rule out the Chevy Volt. I really do like the car and the fact that the majority of the miles that owners do drive in that are electric. It's fantastic. And what I love is that it's going to pull a lot of people into electric cars. So it's kind of a gateway uh, drug, I guess, if that's okay to say. I'm very thankful for the car, and I think it's going to do really well. Uh, but I think as overall, if we're going to set a high bar and give it an award, I think we need to shoot higher than that and really pick a car that, that embodies that high standard in, in what it brings to the market. So looking at the Tesla Model X, there are actually several, several compelling arguments 
for that. And it does really redefine uh, what an SUV is and what customers will expect from SUVs, uh, which will eventually pull people out of traditional SUVs, and, and those volumes will be amazing, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, but for me, the key drawback for the Model X is the lack of availability. I mean, I just can't get past that. There's only a handful of those out in the world today. They're very rare. I haven't seen one yet, not that that's a deciding criteria item, but yeah, just production just has not ramped up as quickly as many had hoped. I am hopeful that that's going to pick up in the next few months here, hopefully, uh, by the end of the, the 2015 year. Um, but I'm just not confident that we're going to see the, the same sort of volume impact in 2016 as we might get from some of the other cars. So that has to rule out the Model X for me. And so based on that, really the only contender in that mix is the uh, Tesla Model S 70 and 70D. I should restate that. It's not the only contender. I think it's the top contender. We've got a great selection of cars this year. But yeah, that, that particular subset is only a percentage of the overall Model S sales. And I don't, and I don't think... I don't think we have numbers. Have either of you seen numbers on what portion of S sales or 7070D? I don't think that's public. I do have a friend, uh, actually one of my mentors, who did wind up buying a Tesla S70. And he explicitly noted he didn't think that the uh, the 85 was really for him. He didn't really need that range. Uh, I guess, you know, even though he's well-to-do, he uh, he's, he's smart with money. So... Even though I don't have stats, I'm sure that the number of the proportion of S70s being sold is much higher than the proportion of 60s that had been sold before it was available. I think rumors indicate it's the top selling uh, option, but but yeah, Kyle, keep going. <laughs> I think it's great discussion, and the fact that we don't have visibility of the sales numbers for each version of the Model S really does make it difficult to say which one is preferred. It does seem like there's a point where the incremental battery size doesn't help that much. But from what I've seen in browsing the, the certified pre-owned inventory, there's actually a fair number of 85s and P85s and Ds out there, which seems to indicate that the, the buyer for a car in this market isn't necessarily looking at those higher models for the extra range. They just feel like they want the best car, what they view as the best car, which is the one with the bigger battery pack and the faster options. But in defense of the Model S, I mean, those buyers are going to go that route anyway. They might have ended up in a car with a performance engine, like a V10 or a V12. Um, and those, car, those cars get terrible mileage, like a Mercedes S-Class or a BMW 7 Series. I mean, those aren't uh, your, your everyday Toyota Prius. Uh, so there's a lot of upside to that kind of a trade-up, and it's really interesting to see that situation playing out. I just wish we had better visibility of the, the numbers. But because of that trade-up, I mean, I have to go with the Model S 7070D. Um, which is actually pulling buyers from those markets today. But having said that, I, I, I am looking for huge things coming from the uh, the Model X in the future. Yeah, well, I I I, I totally see your your points. I see I sense for any of these vehicles, to be honest, which is why I felt good putting them all on the list because uh, I think any of them could legitimately win. Um, the the Volt and the Leaf might. I mean, they're more affordable, but might not really. I mean, the sales. If you look at demands, not just supply, the sales don't seem to match even the Model S uh, sales. So they're not really. I, I'm af I'm afraid they won't play from gas cars as the Model S and Model X. Furthermore, I think they're probably pulling more people who are just going from hybrids who want to get off gas or fight global warming. Whereas, like like you've already noted, you know, the Model S is pulling want high performance cars, premium sedans. Uh, so I think I think that 
that, you know, if that hunch is correct, gives a, a strong argument to the Model S having a stronger effect. Um, you know, you talked about this yesterday when we were chatting about it, uh, Kyle, the, the manufacturing. I mean, Tesla's Gigafactory, they, they plan to not bring any, they, they've, they're not even bringing a gas pipeline to the factory because they don't want to use fossil fuels there. So that's a pretty strong statement in how green they want their manufacturing to be. Um, but the other big thing is, uh, and, and one of the correct points didn't really spell out, and I think we need, we, we need to get, get clear on it, is if we're talking about the biggest impact in the coming year or uh, the entire future of cars. So uh, I, I think that wasn't really, uh, I don't think we're all, everyone voting has the same opinion of what we're talking about there. So we have to be more clear on that next year. But for me, I think it's, it's the biggest net effect and I just I see the Tesla Model S uh, replacing a lot of low mileage uh, SUVs um, I see I think demand will be a comparable with Model S demand that's what Elon has ex is expecting that's what I expect uh, it's really unproven and that's the challenge with the Model X you know the, the Volt the Leaf the Model S we have a sense of how they sell who's buying them the Model X we don't really know yet if even if Tesla can get some production up to the you know once I think that it looks pretty solid. They will, but um, and then what what the demand will be once it is up. Uh, but my personal opinion is that it's going to blow away the automotive world. I mean, it's a, an SUV, every production car ever. So it's like it's it's just mind-boggling how you can make an SUV so quick uh, because of the electric drive. And then I think the Falcon Wing doors, whether people like them or not, they're going to get a lot of eyeballs and they're going to get people asking about the car and finding out about electric cars that never would have otherwise. So those are the big things for me, um, replacing the low mile per gallon SUVs and just increasing uh, awareness of EVs and demand for EVs, which I think the Model X does better than, than anyone. But um, uh, to wrap up, we, right now we have 415 responses, and it's a really tight race. Uh, the Chevy Volt has 21% of votes. The Nissan Leaf and Tesla Model X are dead tied with 25%, and the Tesla Model S is leading with almost 29%. So any of these cars could win. Uh, we'll have to see how, how things turn out once everyone's voted by the end of the month. Um, but it looks like the S so far, and you guys made strong arguments why. Uh, but Kyle, you have to tell us how you found this story first, which is an interesting story all by itself. But it's also one of the most fascinating batteries, EV battery stories we've seen all year. Uh, Swatch has decades of experience uh, producing and developing uh, and improving batteries. Yeah, this story did kind of find me in a funny way, uh, like you mentioned. Um, I've got my feelers out all over the interwebs and follow all kinds of people on Twitter uh, I've got a lot of foreign language stories that pop up, and this one actually came up from a Spanish electric car for, car forum, um, and I was able to read enough of it to know that I was interested. Uh, I like to say I know enough Spanish uh, to get into trouble, but not to get out of trouble, um, and I was able to read through enough of this to know that I was interested, and then tossed it into Google Translate and was able to get out some, some great info from uh, this article that I could build on and uh, do some more research on to pull a story together, and I'm really excited about it. I mean, Swatch has actually been playing with uh, electric cars and batteries for several decades now. Uh, it was kind of news to me. Uh, they actually started back in the 80s and 90s when they tried to start up a new brand with uh, a car that we now know of as the smart car. Um, when they entered the market, they didn't want to go in um, to an auto market and uh, have existing manufacturers feel threatened 
by their move. So they actually looked to partner with an established manufacturer um, and ended up, after reaching out to several, uh, partnering with Daimler-Benz, um, who partnered them with their sub-brand, Mercedes-Benz, well-known, obviously, for their luxury cars. Um, and in that uh, new arrangement, um, that partnership took kind of a bad turn. Um, Swatch ended up as a minority partner with Mercedes, uh, with 49 to 51% ownership. Um, and Mercedes, with their controlling interests, kind of took the wheel of that partnership and drove off in their own direction. And really didn't take value of the perspective of Swatch, um, specifically related to um, the desire to embrace electric cars and electric drivetrains, which was a lot of the initiative and incentive for Swatch to even build a car in the first place. Uh, so it's actually a really exciting piece um, overall. I mean, it's a really exciting story with Swatch and the batteries. And I'm really excited to see where um, it goes, given Swatch's competency in uh, batteries and their, their history of actually innovating and trying to bring products to market with electric vehicles. Uh, so speaking about batteries, Matthew, I know you've got a wealth of knowledge about batteries and have studied the field quite a bit. Uh, do you want to talk to us a bit about uh, Swatch's unique battery tech? Thanks. Yeah, after seeing the article on Clean Technica, I did a bit of Googling and found a Bloomberg article itself referencing that uh, Swatch may be considering an IPO for its battery division. Uh, this is very exciting because it means that Swatch is going to commit real capital to scaling this technology up. The article also uh, noted that Swatch's technology uses vanadium oxides as a counter-ion to the lithium. And as a little bit of a background, uh, Tesla, for example, uses nickel-cobalt aluminum oxides in its batteries. BYD, the big battery maker turned electric car and electric bus maker, uses iron phosphate. And vanadium oxides and vanadium compounds are often used in flow batteries because they have a very high charge density. You can, you can pack a lot of charge transfer because the vanadium itself can take on a number of valence states. It can, it can basically, uh, you can basically get more lithium ion transfer and therefore charge transfer and therefore energy per unit mass of, of vanadium that you've got. So very exciting stuff. I'll turn it back to Zach. Thanks. But first, I just want to come back to the the smart car name, which was really interesting. Uh, Kyle discovered. Um, so I don't think many people realize that the the smart car name actually comes from S for Swatch, uh, M for Mercedes, and an Art for like the creative uh, exploratory nature of the of the the brand. Uh, really interesting history that I that I never knew before. But uh, I think the really exciting thing about this. Um, well, to give a little perspective, uh, Elon recently noted how they closely follow dozens of research projects and startups around the world, and they give them a ranking from one to five about how, you know, how, how like how much it seems like they should do business with them or or consider using this technology. And nothing is ranked over three at the point where they should begin talking to the to these other uh, researchers or startups. Uh, but the thing about this story is, I mean, this is developed in-house at Swatch, so I, I think it's pretty much off the radar. Swatch has decades of experience uh, developing EV batteries. I mean, developing batteries. Uh, that's a huge, a huge bonus. 
and it's you know it's a manufacturer. It's not a research group. It's not a, a startup. It doesn't have any, have the experience or supply chain to to manufacture at scale. And then the the point that you brought in, Matthew, about the IPO just shows that they that they seem to feel like they're at the stage where they're basically ready to scale up, which is uh, an exciting thing because we see all these different stories about different battery te- uh, chemistries, and they all seem to have a fatal flaw that you know they hope they'll get over, but they're not sure. Yeah, to your point, Zach, many startups face a challenge as they try to cross the chasm or they try to go through the valley of death, I think I've heard it called a few times, where they have an extraordinary research and development skill set, but then they have to add in manufacturing, engineering, operations, production, and it's a lot tougher to do that, especially to integrate it seamlessly into a pre-existing corporate culture than if you're already a large company which has also mastered to some degree all these skill sets it would be a little bit like the transition from going from a single-celled animal to a multi-celled organism where suddenly you have to have a whole bunch of other processes and uh, features within the company that you didn't have to worry about earlier there's a lot more complexity and yes the the coolest part is that swatch knows how to make stuff They'll have all the expertise this battery division will need. Uh, All they would need, I would imagine, is the uh, money that they could get from the IPO, which would presumably be in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And with a hundred million dollars, you know, going into capital and other, you know, human resources and other infrastructure, that's a lot of batteries you can make in a little amount of time. Kyle, Kyle, maybe you could talk again about um, the CEO of Swatch. You made some interesting points about him and about Belenos' uh, clean power itself. Yeah, for sure. Um, We talked a bit about where this new venture is going and that Swatch has a history in electric vehicles and um, batteries are one of the core competencies of the company. Uh, But what I love about this announcement is that uh, their CEO, Nicholas Hayek, he's just a serial entrepreneur. I mean, if you look at his history, he is always starting companies and just pushing the envelope. I mean, the fact that they were trying to build uh, a mass market electric car back in the 80s and 90s, that's before EV1. That's before any mainstream electric car was available, which is just a massive move, um, especially from a guy known for making watches. I mean, he's not hes not a car maker. He's not a, a battery guy. He's, they make watches, and he's pushing into this completely new, new space. Um, so this move back into batteries at a, at a bigger scale for electric vehicles is, if anything, tame compared to what he's done in the past. Um, so that, that really gives me confidence that they're going to make a strong push forward. And uh, given that they've already got kind of a strong, creative brand image to build on with Swatch um, being so creative, I'm really looking for this new effort to drive a step change in electric vehicles and specifically battery technology. Um uh, and I'm just excited about where that, that piece of it's going to go. Um, like you mentioned too, Zach, um, they're making this push into batteries um, under one of their subsidiaries, which is Benelos Clean Power. Uh, they actually started that, and it's fully owned under Swatch, but they started that back in 2008, and they've done some creative work under that um, company already. Um, but they're scaling up that new battery tech for EVs. Uh, it's worth noting that they're also... Um, looking at electric scooter batteries and motorcycle batteries as well. Um, but yeah, they're, they're even considering spinning it off as its own company. So that speaks volumes to um, what they think is in store for this technology and where they see it going in the future. Uh, what's actually, it's worth noting, 
that this whole effort, this whole renewed push into electric vehicle batteries by Swatch actually came out of the VW diesel scandal, um, which is what catalyzed them to reconsider getting back into the space. That's exciting. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing with, uh, you know, big disasters um, often have some silver linings to them. And I think that leads well into the last point, because uh, Matthew, you brought up that the this last story has has a has an interesting history as well. Yes, so the third story that we're covering is about the city of North Vancouver in Canada passing a bylaw requiring that gas pumps have warning labels on them, much like the warning labels we find on cigarette cartons in many countries. Uh, the link to the disaster here is that the organization that has spearheaded this, called Our Horizon, their website's ourhorizon.org, uh, was named by the executive director, Rob Shirky, after the BP Deepwater Horizon disaster. Uh, he heard about it while stuck in traffic in uh, Toronto. It's like a seven-lane highway each way. And he realized, well, you know, it's not really just something out there, abstract. I'm part of the issue because I'm burning gas in my vehicle. And on thinking about the issue, he decided that he wanted to really dedicate his life, or the past three years of his life, full-time to trying to get warning labels on gas pumps. And the reason being that uh, it's very easy for us to ec ignore the externalities when we do something as mundane as filling up gas, but if we have a reminder that's present, that's direct and tangible, when we do so, then that confronts us a little bit and hopefully gets us into the position, into the frame of mind where we start contemplating, well, there are actually consequences to what we're doing, and maybe I should think about trying to resolve this issue or, or trying to do something about it. Uh, he was very emphatic, polite but emphatic, in my correspondence with him in prep for this uh, podcast, that he wanted to emphasize um, the the motivation behind this initiative. I just want to read this little uh, paragraph from him here to make sure I'm not uh, misquoting him. He says, uh, quote, I'm interested in the behavioral change piece, but I'm more interested in how the intervention enables more. I find linear thinkers often think I'm trying to get individuals to use less product, drive less, take transit, etc. And that's only a small part of the intervention. Systems thinkers get it. By making the problem more tangible, making us feel more connected to it, making its impacts more proximate, etc., the idea creates much greater social impetus to address it and drives change upstream. Governments and business will respond. Close quote. Kyle, I think I'll turn it back to you. Yeah, I mean, first, I think that it's hilarious that the uh, the piece of equipment they're putting these labels on is called a nozzle talker. I mean, that just... It just seems like an odd name for a uh, piece of a gas pump. Uh, but about the labels, I mean, I guess what I liked about these labels is that it kind of puts it in people's faces. It, it reminds me a lot of those cigarette warning labels that have been mandated for a while now in, in a couple different countries, uh, where the label basically just bluntly says, using this product is going to kill you. What I think is different here is that with smoking, we've got kind of people with a physical addiction to the nicotine. And as such, I, I think that those labels on cigarette packets probably don't make as much of an impact because that physical addiction changes the way people think about them. So they start thinking about cigarettes. One of my friends said they cigarettes were kind of like a good friend. And so you, you have a different relationship with the product 
my comeback was like, well, it's a good friend that's stabbing you in the back and giving you cancer. But anyway, a different message for a different time. So flipping it over to gasoline, I think we as a society are, are definitely addicted to petroleum in, in all its forms. And I'm not saying it's a terrible thing like, oh, you addict and anything like that. But it, it's definitely a habit that we need to break. Realize that it's terrible for the planet. It's causing damage to the health of the atmosphere and to people. And we need to course correct like we did with smoking. We need to start turning the ship. And it's a huge ship. Taking the world off of the oil addiction and combustion. It's creating all of the CO2 and the emissions in the atmosphere that's causing the, the warming of the planet. is a massive change to people's habits. And, and these labels are a great step in kind of getting that message out there and getting people to think about it at the, uh, the point of purchase. Um, Zach, I know you had some perspective on kind of the way he's creating the immediate feedback. Where he said he's not really trying to guilt people into it, but it kind of feels that way. Do you want to unpack that a bit? Yeah, this story uh, definitely brings out the sociological academic heart of mine. Um, I think one of the one of the most difficult things in general for for people is breaking habits. You know, it's uh, no matter what the habit is, it's just it's so easy to just keep going with it, and so hard to consciously stop yourself from doing the same same thing over and over. Uh, and it's easy to just say, you know, oh, I will change in the future. Not today, um, which of course is is a recipe for disaster. Um, so you know, I think this these labels are a good sort of uh, yeah, shock treatment, kind of uh, to 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 break us out of the habit of using oil. And you know, we're we're very fond of you know labeling oil company, companies as evil, uh, but it's you know it's consumer demand that keeps them alive, that keeps them uh, going. So, you know, we have to, we have to recognize our part of that and cut our, cut the demand if we, if we want them to, to stop ruining the world. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of people realize this, but it's just hard to, to make such a big change as, as, uh, going electric when you don't really know much about it, for, for example. Uh, so, you know, we need to be guilted maybe into breaking these habits. We need, uh, these kind of stickers to remind us every time we're at the gas pump, like, you know, this is going to have disastrous effects. Uh, better change soon. So I think it's going to have a, a huge impact. Um, there's a lot of potential there for for just a snowballing effect from from it all. However, I, I do think it's important that the images are really strong ones. I mean, the image used on the on the pump in the picture of, in the, the in the article that we that we wrote is of a you know reindeer in the arctic or something it's it's very detached from everyday life for for most people and although they might care a bit about that it's not going to really touch them as much as as stronger images related to other effects of global warming uh for example example natural disasters you know in, in the civilized world um disease uh the the wars that might might result from this uh there are a lot of really human uh disasters um sea level rise in coastal areas that that could have a huge impact on us and i think i think images stronger images like that might be more more powerful or even images regarding the the health effects of of burning gasoline um, but yeah matthew how, how about you tell us some more uh thoughts of yours from this Thanks, yeah. So just before getting to the warning labels, just want to note that it's not just the city of North Vancouver which is uh, mandating this. Uh, it's expected that uh, the city of Vancouver itself, as well as two suburbs, Port Moody and West Vancouver as well, are likely to pass this kind of a bylaw within the next year. 
and uh, there are a handful of other cities in the province and the rest of Canada uh, in contact with the Our Horizon group and evidently some cities in the United States as well. So uh, it's, it's very promising development. Uh, Canada was evidently the first country to uh, mandate uh, cigarette carton warning labels and it'd be kind of cool if uh, we can take the lead on warning labels on gas pumps as well. With respect to the images on the warning labels, I agree that a, a photo of a of some caribou on a snow, snowy background might not really be a lot to uh, motivate uh, change. It's, it's not a really distressing uh, image. Uh, there are on the Horizon website a few example other images, perhaps the most stark of which, the most moving, impactful one, is a black and white shot of a young child with the note that uh, the burning of the fossil fuel uh, can cause smog, which can cause asthma in small children. And certainly, if there's anything that would uh, strike at the heart, be a spear in the heart, uh, as Ray Anderson of Interface might say, of any parent, it would be that label there. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for creating the environment, creating the change, and creating the environment where people can start to have a dialogue about this as opposed to saying, well, you know, I know it's not great, but I'm getting no feedback, and therefore I'm not really going to worry or concern myself about the fact that I'm polluting through uh, through this fossil fuel con combustion. Yeah, overall, I mean, I think it's going to have a really strong impact. Uh, it'll be curious to see how, how much quicker things change there. Of course, very hard to, to tease out the significance, but, but still, I, th I think it's got to have a strong impact. Um, and it's got to be a, one, of, one of the more cost-effective approaches we could take to transition to EVs. Uh, you know, it's quite cheap to stick some stickers on the on these nozzles, and really, you know, it's, it's going to touch people. It's going to affect people, and people are going to more quickly switch uh, transition to EVs. So it's going to it's going to be a great great help, I think, and I hope it spreads spreads quickly. Kyle, do you have any more uh, thoughts on this? Yeah, thanks, Zach. Um, I looked up the cost of this initiative. It's actually in the article. Um, it's actually between three and five thousand dollars. So it's an extremely low cost initiative, and it's so low that I could actually see people taking this kind of initiative into their own hands, um, if like a form of guerrilla activism, if you will, printing some of these stickers up and kind of, you know, self-installing them at their own local gas stations. Not not that I would advocate that on the show here. Uh, but I think it's an interesting angle on the initiative, given the extremely low cost and accessibility of the, uh, the images they're using. So overall, I mean, I think this is extremely exciting work. Uh, I can't wait to see this initiative when it comes down here to Southern California and spreads across the U.S., uh, but even the globe for that matter. And one of the interesting things that came out of the article covering this uh, that we shared on Clean Technic was actually from one of our commenters, Pomo, uh, who shared that the local business license will actually be tied to the display of these warning labels. That's an interesting connection, and I think it's it's an important one because it'll help just drive that mandated display of these labels and make sure that people are actually displaying them, and just it's a good forcing function. Uh, similar to like the label on the packet of cigarettes, where it's not like just a sticker you can take off, or that comes off with the outer wrap. But usually, the ones I've seen are actually printed on the box or the carton, and, and can't actually be taken off. Um, and finally, like you guys mentioned. Um, I think these stickers are a great way to tie that act of pumping gas, which is 
not a, a clean, enjoyable experience. It's kind of gross already and, and smelly. Uh, but it ties that unpleasant experience and, and I think the use of the car and the use of the gas with the actual consequences of climate change. So I'm excited to see how it pans out and what the impact of it is in North Vancouver where they're already implementing this. Um, some of those, those labels and the stickers are actually pretty severe and I, I think it's important to put that in front of people to try to shock them into changing and, and I'm hopeful that that'll uh, have an impact. Well, thank you again, Matthew and Kyle, for joining me to relaunch Clean Tech Talk, a weekly podcast on the latest clean tech trends and news. Uh, Kyle, Matthew, and I will be will be talking about electric vehicles, solar energy, wind energy, energy storage on a weekly basis. You can follow us and listen on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on cleantechnica.com, evobsession.com, guest2.org, maybe Green Car Reports. Uh, you can listen in the browser or download or, or follow on those, on those popular podcasting channels. Check in next week to get your electric fix.